0: Your Bibles again to Philippians chapter four. Philippians four. As we've been going through this book of Philippians, we bogged down a little bit in Philippians four eight. Have spent the last couple weeks there. We'll spend the next couple there as well. It's just such an important passage of Scripture. I just decided I dare not gloss through it or rush through it. It's it's all about meditation. It's about what we should be thinking. And we so often think the problem with our lives is what we do, but ultimately the problem with our lives is how and what we think. Every bad action started out with a bad idea. And so the Bible puts a, an emphasis on what we deliberately think. It's what the Bible calls meditation, deliberately reflecting on things that will bring about positive changes in our lives. Paul told the Romans to be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so, God wants to do a work in our thought processes that will ultimately result in lives that are constructive and that reflect who He is. So, it's important for us to understand this eighth verse of Philippians chapter 4, the passage that says at the end of the verse, meditate on these things. Here's what you need to be thinking on. And he says, brethren, think about this. Whatever things are true, and as we went through that the first week of this study, it was we were talking about the honesty that's necessary, the desire to know the truth, the desire to be honest with yourself. As I told you before, that word true literally in the Greek means no secrets. It's opening yourself up and saying, okay, no more phoniness. No more pretending. I want the real thing. And so he says, meditate on what is true. But then he says also meditate on what's noble. That word means worshipful or reverential. Don't just focus your life on what you see down here. Look to heaven. See God. Include him in the equation. Worship him. Understand what he is worth. And as we come into a proper understanding of who we are, we will realize how much we need Him and then include Him in that life in whatever is reverential or whatever, as, as we say here, is noble. And then we came last week and we talked about whatever things are just. That is, that which is fair. To allow ourselves to listen to all sides in order to comprehend what is really the truth, what is really noble as well, to say, you know what, I don't want to just settle in on what I believe. I want to listen to other sides. I don't want to live my life at odds with everyone, fighting with everyone, always believing I'm right and other people are wrong. I want to allow the cards to be placed on the table. I want the evidence to be offered, and I want to be fair, fair with myself and fair with others. And now, today, we've come to the next thing that we're commanded to meditate on, and he says, whatever things are pure. Purity is something that we talk a lot about, something that we're kind of frustrated about because purity is, well, we know we are to be pure. For something to be pure, it means that it's the real thing in as much concentration and with as little pollution as is possible, for, for a Christian, purity is to have our life look like Jesus. For Jesus himself was the real deal, completely pure, without sin. He was a man completely and totally, and yet without sin. Trouble is, I look at my life and I realize there are so many impurities in my life. There are so many things that, that pollute and that cloud and distort that image of Jesus Christ that is supposed to shine forth from me Becomes very frustrating. Now, purity, when I think of purity, I think of water. Because there isn't anything that I would rather drink in this world than water. Now, some people decide they like other things better than water. And so there are huge industries that revolve around impure water, basically. Water that has been polluted. Polluted with, with coffee beans polluted with sugar, polluted with artificial flavoring and coloring, polluted with whatever, even minerals and other things and, and all, all sorts of elements that we put into water. The, the funny thing is, we drink water to quench our thirst, and yet, if you line up all the drinks that are available in this world... You can, you can put them in priority as to how effective they are at quenching thirst based on their water content. As soon as you put any other impurity in water, it only dilutes its capacity to quench thirst. And so the best thirst quencher is water, straight, pure water. Now it used to be that water was just something that came out of your faucet, but now you pay for bottles of water because... You want the impurities out. You don't want it to have all the junk in it. And I'm with you on that. I remember one time when Calvary Chapel bought a piece of property down at Mount Palomar. And we had all sorts of big dreams for the property. But basically it turned out all the property was good for was that there's water underneath it. And so down there in that area... um, You see trucks going off the mountain all the time picking up water. Well, we drilled a well on that property, and out of a pipe in the ground, I'll never forget it, water came out, and we drank that water, and it was like 10 times as pure as the water that you buy in the store. It was coming from way under the ground, and it was out of the ground at about 34 degrees, just above freezing. Oh, that was good stuff. And I said, you know, if anyone would drink this, they would never drink a Coke again. They would never drink anything else that's polluted and distorted again. Well, that purity is something that's amazing. Now, what do you do when you have something that's not pure? That's where most bottled water comes from. It comes from L.A. or somewhere like that. Or if you buy Arrowhead water, you look at the picture of the mountain, but that's really not where the water came from, believe me. (laughs) The water came from San Bernardino you know, in the view of the mountain. And what they do is run it through all sorts of filters and reverse osmosis and whatever to try to remove as many of the impurities as they can. A lot of times, that's how we approach our lives. And that's one way to move toward purity, have a good filter, So, so often we say, boy, you have so much garbage coming into your life, it's important to put a filter on your life. And and I'm not going to put that down, nor am I saying, hey, that's not right. I'll only tell you this, you can try to filter all you want, but in this world, you're going to be frustrated because you can't filter out everything that would pollute you. You can decide to not allow things into your life, to not allow certain types of entertainment or certain types of input or temptation, and you can put all the filters you want on your life, but that stuff's still going to, you know, ooze in somehow. Again, not not belittling the idea of filtration. All I'm saying is filtration is only a part of the, of the formula. And what happens when you put too much filtration on your life, it actually becomes counterproductive. Here's how it works in the church. You know, I decide... I don't want to hear anything evil. I don't want to see anything evil. I don't want to be around anyone who's sinful. And so I set rigid standards and I build walls around us and let's just all as Christians hang out together and not be touched by the world. Sounds like a good idea, but you know what you get when you do that? You, you attract a group of phonies. People who can pretend like they're as pure as you are pretending you are. And ultimately we become... In, inbred, ingrown, and, and corrupted and polluted like any body of water that doesn't have something flowing in and flowing out. We become stagnant at that point. And that's why the Corinthians had a problem with that because Paul had told them, you know what? Don't hang around with people who are claiming to be Christians and they're living in immorality and they're living horrible lifestyles. Separate yourself from those people. And so they did, and they started thinking they were better than those people, and they made a mistake, and so he wrote them again and said, look, when I told you not to hang out with immoral people, I wasn't telling you not to hang out with the immoral people of this world. To do that, you'd have to go out of the world. That doesn't make sense. What I'm telling you is when there's a brother or sister who's living a phony life, You need to confront them and separate yourself from them until they can repent and and begin to live their life in line with what God says. But by all means, continue to be in this world. Continue to reach out to others. When we just set our filters, so often we will filter out the people that we're called to reach. See, pure water is something that comes forth from the Lord. And it's given to us so that it can flow through us. It's not given to us, so here it is. We can drink it and don't let anybody else get to it. Jesus, when he was there in Jerusalem on the great day of the feast, he stood up and he said, is anybody thirsty? Come unto me and drink. And he said, for out of your innermost belly will just flow and gush forth those rivers of living water. And it said, this he spake of the Spirit. See, God wants to work in our lives by His Spirit so that water that's pure flows out from us through us to others. The reason He wants us to be pure is because purity is what the rest of the world needs. Now, you can use filtration and achieve a certain level of purity, but the best way to, the most efficient way to remain pure is to go from a pure source, first of all, and then where there's a lack of purity Add pure water to that so that the, so that the impurities become minimized as the, as the overall batch is saturated by that which is pure because impurity is always judged by the, the number of parts per million of impurity to purity. So when you add purity, you end up benefiting everyone and everything. And that's what ministering in the Spirit does. That's what ministering to each other does is it's like taking this fresh batch of of living water, of, of fresh and pure water, and infecting the world with it, infecting the people around us with it. And so God calls us to be that kind of conduit. Again, if we decide we would rather just be in a little private place where it's just us and our friends... That becomes the most polluting and stagnant influence ever. But as we allow the Spirit of God to flow through us, to reach out and touch others, we recognize that that pure water of God's Word that we possess is something that can flow through us and be a purifying influence on those around us. Now, when it comes to meditating on what's pure, a part of that is to say, boy, I'm looking at Jesus and I'm realizing I'm not as pure as He is. I'm fake sometimes. I've I've become corrupted by the influences around me, the world, the flesh, the devil. They're destroying me, recognizing, hey, I'm not pure, and he is. But that meditation can go past that. It's not just an awareness of our impurity, but our meditation ultimately has to become, God can do something about this. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God can do that cleansing work in our lives. How does that work? Well, turn over to 1 John chapter 3. Just a powerful passage here in 1 John. 1 John is probably my second favorite book in the Bible next to Philippians that we're studying now. But look at 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says, Behold, what kind of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us. They don't get it because it didn't know Him. But beloved, you who are loved... Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, the same word that's used in Philippians 4.8, just as he, God, is pure. So he says, here's what you do. Here's how you think your way to purity, if you will. Look how much God loves you. Look what he did for you. Look, imagine, he calls you his child. He looks at you and he sees you in all of your your splendor and at the same time in everything that's disgusting about you. And he looks at you and he goes, you're my kid. And I love you, and I want to spend eternity with you. I love you so much, my son came and died for you. Oh, I see the impurities, but I have a fix for that. I can do that work in your life. And again, as he said over in the first chapter, confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So here's how it works. I look at my life, and I Finally honest, as he says in Philippians 4.8, I wanted the truth. I, I worshiped God. I acknowledged that he is so much greater than I am. Finally, I was fair enough to look at the situation objectively. And now, here I am. I see my impurities. I see God's purities. I realize he's the standard. But it just blows my mind because he says, I can make you righteous. And all you have to do is confess. Now, we have a distorted view of confession usually. We think confession is act like you're really, really sorry and beg for forgiveness. Oh, God, please, 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 please. I'm so, 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 so sorry, 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 sorry. And, and somehow I think, okay, good. Maybe I think I need to go to a person and get them to say, you know, that I'm sorry. Or Maybe I need, okay, God, how much money do you want for you to forgive this one? That's not what confession is. The word confess literally means to say the same thing. It's just simply agreeing with God and saying, God, you are right. You tell me that pride has a corrupting influence and boy I saw that this week, God. I had that interaction with that person and if I had just responded in humility it would have been fine but my pride welled up inside of me, ended up having a big argument, and we end up both hating each other, and it was my pride. God, good call. You're absolutely right. That's so dumb. God, I, uh, thank you for forgiving me. I'm amazed that you still love me with what I do, but I believe you. See, when we confess our sins, when we just say, yep, to our sins, instantly, God forgives them. And, He doesn't remember them anymore. And a lot of times when we confess our sins, we think we need to go on and on about it. Maybe even, yeah, you know, I sinned a couple of years ago, did something really horrible, and so every time I come to God, I keep reminding him of this thing. And he goes, I don't want you to remind me of it. You don't have to remind me of it. I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. I've had people come to me on different occasions who who come up and say, you know, Dave, I just have to apologize to you. You remember that time when I, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but I feel really bad the way I treated you, the things I said to you, the things I said about you. And I I just, you know, after 10 years, I, I just, I want you to forgive me. Will you please, please, please forgive me? And I'm like looking at him going, who are you now? I'm, I'm like, <laughs> my mind's gone. Do I know this person? And then, oh, yeah, I know him. What did they do? And I'm like, I don't sorry I mean I'm sorry that you've been carrying it all this time what I didn't forgive you for deterioration in my brain cells took care of it it's gone I don't know I don't even know what you did and in a sense that's God when we just keep belaboring our confession because the minute you go God you're right he goes about what just shut up okay he forgot it it's done it's clean. And that's where our purification ultimately comes. It's through confessing our sins, through admitting who we really are. And amazingly, that does things in our lives that will cause us to look more like Jesus, that will cause us to more reflect his purity, flow forth with his purity and his qualities of life that we want. And so, as we get alone with God and we, in our private meditations we come to this point of purity we need to say okay god what is it that i've been disagreeing with you on what is it that i thought i was right but in retrospect it's not working out so well and i see those impurities in my life and the second i admit what they are they're gone and i'm a bit more pure now all the same time, I'm disciplining my life and trying to filter what comes in. At the same time, I'm constantly allowing the Spirit to flow through my life. I'm allowing His Word to, to run into my life. Between all of those things, amazingly, something that's very impure can start to become pure. And for once, we're actually capable of doing acts that aren't selfishly motivated. We just see God doing things, and we look at it like, wow. I can't believe that. That's not me. It, it actually is you. But it's you when you're cleaned up. It's you when you've admitted your need before God. And so again, hey, whatever is true, if you don't want to know the truth, you'll never get beyond that. But once you decide to not have secrets anymore, and then you begin to worship God, and you start to play fair and stop stacking the deck of injustice, Then you approach Him at His throne and receive from Him that purity that He wants to give you. Now, after saying that you need to meditate on things that are pure, again, back in Philippians 4, 8, whatever things are lovely. Lovely isn't a word I use a lot. You know, you won't usually hear me describing things as being lovely. It just sounds like kind of a sissy word to me, to be honest with you, and I... I might say something's cool or, you know, somebody isn't this lovely? Yeah, it's all right. You know, this tends to be my descriptive, my limited vocabulary on descriptions. The word here for lovely is a word that literally takes a Greek word for love, phileo, and it puts before it a prefix pros, so it's prosphileo. The word pros means towards, moving in a direction of proximity What this word is talking about when it talks about lovely is what direction are you moving? Are you moving towards love or are you moving away from it? Are you surrounded by love? Are you bringing love into life or are you pushing away from it? See, that's how ultimately we developed the term lovely because something that is an atmosphere of love, something that is designed for love, if you will, designed from love, it ends up going, wow, this looks lovely. There are certain places, certain locations that are more romantic than others, for instance. And if you want to have a really romantic dinner with your spouse, you typically won't go to McDonald's. Nothing against McDonald's. I've enjoyed many a Big Mac over the years, but usually that's not what you call a romantic dinner. There are other places that when you go to them, it's like, wow, you you almost there are some places that if you go to eat there, you'd feel really stupid having a fight while you were there because like, why waste this atmosphere? There are people who have the capacity to decorate out of their heart and make a room just beautiful. And I hate to say it, but lovely. Now, if I <laughs> the reason I don't like the lovely word probably that much is because if I were to decorate a room, it, I mean, and I've never done it completely, but if I just did it just for me, I mean, the room would have a whole lot of books, ugly books in it, It'd probably be a bearskin rug on the floor, a dead bear lying there. You'd have heads of dead animals all around the walls. You can see why Anne won't let me decorate our house. Over the fireplace, big rustic mantle and a whole lot of guns. You know, with smoke just coming out of the barrels and, you know, every kind of gun imaginable hanging on the wall. You come into that room and no one would say, this is just lovely. (laughs) In fact, you'd probably look at the room and go, man, this room is just oozing with hate. (laughs) You're glorifying death. And that's why guys, normal guys, aren't asked to... (laughs) Aren't asked to decorate rooms because... Most of us are not really good at making a place look like love. But girls can go in and and with their love, and okay, some guys can too. I understand. I'll give them that. And and just go, wow, this place just it looks romantic. It looks lovely. Our lives, we have a choice of decorating everyone we are around, everyone whose life we touch. And we decide am I going to leave an influence of love or am I going to just leave an influence of a smoking gun? (laughs) Am I just going to leave souvenirs of death all around? Some people are able to walk into a room and you just feel the mood change. There are some people when you see them, it's just they are such loving people that you're touched just to see them. There are other people that just, boy, you, you get tense when you get near them. It's like, what are they going to be upset about now? What, is, what are we going to fight about this year? You know, and, and that's why there are some people you don't hardly ever see because you don't feel that love flowing at all. It's one of the reasons why funerals are such a drag. You know, we know people who know God, and we know that they are going to be with the Lord, and yet so often we deeply hurt when they are gone. And so often, the reason that we're hurting is because of the way we left them. Because of, well, we didn't have that closure. Most people who die, die a long and rather painful death. Overwhelming number of people who die, die that way. And I'm convinced it's not that God wants to torture them. I'm convinced it's because we are so bad at closure that God wants to give the dying person and the survivors, the opportunity to close the loop and to express that love. The greatest, most incredible gift is to say I'll see you later to someone who's on their way to heaven and to know that they knew exactly how you felt about them, to know that they knew how much you loved them. And there's nothing more to say. You've said it all. Boy, at the same time, those times when you just wish, Oh, I had no idea. I wish I had one more chance to set the record straight, to express my affection one more time. It's a miserable thing to live with, and we've all been there. I've had, you know, working with kids for so many years at the school, you know, there were, I had a lot of kids that I had to bury, and most of them, we weren't ready for it. It just happens. You know, and, and I think of here's, a, here's a, a kid who, the last time I talked to him, I was chewing him out, telling him he was wrong about something, trying to make him feel guilty for something that he didn't feel guilty about. Next thing I know, there's his body lying there. Now we're placing him in the ground, and I'm thinking, man, I wish I could have had a little different priority. I wish I had been able to just, to my last memory would be to let them know that I love them. And you hope that everything that you put into somebody's life soaks in and they understand that. But, you know, the older you get, the more people you lose. And you start to realize how important it is to leave people that you love in a positive way, in a sincere way, to create that kind of an atmosphere so that the room you leave is a little bit more lovely because of what you put into it because of the influence that you put there for each of us. That's why love is the most important thing. You know, Paul said, man, you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. You can give your body to be burned. You can have all wisdom and understand all knowledge. But without love, it means absolutely nothing. It's a sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. It's absolutely empty and worthless. And so, as Paul talks about meditating on loveliness, it, it reminds us to go off and take a look at our lives. And really, that's what all this meditation is about for the most part. It's self-examination. As the Greek philosophers used to say, the, the life that isn't self-examined isn't worth living. So let's look at ourselves. And in the image of loveliness, what are we adding? More than that, since it's prosphileo, it's toward love what's the direction of my life? Would people say that I'm more loving today than I was five years ago? Or would people say, man, the older you get, the crotchetier you get. You're becoming one of those mean old people. You know, he's yelling at the neighbors and upset, and as you're driving your car, you're yelling at other, you know, people the way they drive, and you're just upset with everyone around you. Is that what you're leaving? Is that really how you want to live your life? Because... As we meditate on who God is, and if we are going to become more like him, you just don't see Jesus blowing his stack. He loved us so much that while we were complete scum, while we were sinners with nothing to offer at all, he gave his life for us. That's how we know love, Paul said. This is how we know it. God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that how we're living our lives? Are we willing to sacrifice to bring love to the room, to decorate the life around us, the environment and atmosphere around us, the people around us? Is it important that we leave an impression of loveliness? Or do we just leave behind us a trail of hate, a trail of resentment and bitterness? Do we just beat everyone up who gets close to us? And when they leave, they're glad we left. I mean, you can live your life that way. If everyone's your enemy, then you'll never cry at a funeral because it'll always be good riddance. But guess what? Your funeral won't be a real sad place either. As I've said before, there are some people who can brighten up a room just by entering. Other people who can brighten up a room just by leaving. (laughs) It's your choice. Lovely or not. A romantic hideaway Or a hunting lodge. (laughs) You know? Is that what we want to leave? And so Paul says, think about this. Meditate on it. As we face our own impurities and we allow God to work his purity within our lives, to remove the impurities and to fill us and flow through us with who he is, and then to say, let me look at the world I live in. Is it a wonderful world? Is it lovely? Is it ugly? Well, how much did I contribute to making it the way that it was? Let's pray. Lord, you brought love everywhere you went. You are the real deal. You are the standard for purity. We can estimate our own purity compared to yours and That would be pretty bleak if it weren't for the fact that you said that you will give us what we need to purify ourselves. That you've provided for us already. So Lord, help us to meditate on these things. That which is pure. That which will bring purity to us. And that which is moving us in the direction of love. That which decorates the life our own life and the lives of those around us with affection, with fellowship, with closeness, with concern and caring. Lord, help us to wear your loveliness and to not be ashamed to spread it. Help us to live those lives of self-sacrifice where necessary to demonstrate your love. God, I thank you for going first. Help us to follow.